on, everybody? Welcome to episode 169 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to recap the results from week five in the NFL on DraftKings, reflect on some of the key decision points from the slate, and of course, close out the show by taking a look at the most interesting stats and storylines from the week. If you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support us by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. You can also find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Saturdays. Finally, our Discord channel is open and available, free to join. The link to do so is in the description to the podcast. Joey, interesting week. So much for a low-scoring affair as uh, we were kind of projecting all week. Yeah, you know, we were coming into this main slate thinking it was going to be an ugly, unexciting slate of games, and we were just completely wrong. This was the highest scoring week of the season for cash games and GPPs. In terms of my results, my cash line finished with 179.98 points, so good enough to get it done in double ups, and then I won about 70% of my head-to-heads or so, so booked another nice W in in cash and then I also had a couple good tournament teams finished in the top 25 in one tournament dropped 226 good lineup there and then I also scored 200 on a couple other lineups for some decent caches in tournaments so it was a pretty good week all around and excited to uh, move on and keep this win streak going I was right behind you in cash games. I had about 178. The cash line was hovering around like 164, 165 in double ups. And that just tells you what kind of week it is when it's that high. I mean, by far the highest we've seen all season. And I mean, that's what happens when the chalk smashes. And that's exactly what we saw happen this week. Yeah. And I think this week will go down as an all-time prove-it week, right? You hear people say, prove it week, you know, prove to me that you could play the best plays. And this week five was a classic prove-it week. Prove that you can play the three stone locks of the slate after the inactives came out at 11.30 yesterday. Derrick Henry, Devontae Adams, and Alexander Madison. And if you didn't play one of those three players in cash, like you really have to reevaluate what you're doing in DFS because those three guys were stone locks. And if we just take a look at the massive $25 single entry double up, 48% of people said, nah, I'm not playing Devontae (laughs) Adams. (laughs) 37% of people said, no, I'm good. I'm not playing Derrick Henry. And 38% of people said, Madison, we don't need him. Come on, bro. What are we doing here? And I I mean, if you're a listener of the DFS Dose, you would have known that these three guys were the stone locks in cash games. We talked about it on the stream. We talked about it on the podcast. Like you, you had to start your lineup with these three guys. I can't believe that Adams was like owned by half the field. That's egregious. And Alexander Madison, like, yeah, just so many people were like, yeah, I don't need 30 points out of a 5.5K running back on DraftKings. Highest implied team total on the slate, 10-point favorites. I'm good. At home. Yeah, I'm good. I don't I don't need that. Don't want that. Like, the edge still exists. And, you know, like, in decision points, I was going to reference, like, I made some incorrect plays on this late. Like, I played Visca over T. That was a three-point swing. I played Damian over Fournette. That was about five points off. I had Keenan over Lamb. That was about five points off. So, in most weeks, like, if you make those three incorrect calls, that's good enough to kill you in cash. And, you know, that's sacrificing 13 points. You're going to lose most weeks off that. But just off the strength of playing the big three, 
like I swept in cash games. So it's simple to see. Like if you didn't play the three, you were pretty much dead in the water this week. And I also played Damian Williams over Fournette, even though I said on the stream that I did like Fournette better. Williams just fit the specific build that I ran. So I ended up playing him. And then I played T Higgins and CD Lamb. So Lamb, Higgins, and Adams were my three wide receivers. And then Washington defense was my lineup. So all in all was a good cash week. Didn't really have to sweat anything. Had had a couple tournament sweats there at the end of the uh, four o'clock games. But like I said, this was a prove it week. And if you weren't playing these guys, like you, you really have to, you know, reevaluate your process and and fix whatever is leaked in your game because there's something wrong if you didn't play these guys. I mean, they must just not have been tuning into the stream. That'd be the first thing I would say to fix your process because if you tuned in, you were on the right place. Yeah, I mean, you know, not to gas ourselves up, but we we were on a lot of the uh, the high-scoring players this week that we talked about on the stream. Yeah. So... Let's transition here and get into some of the interesting stats and storylines from the week. And we can start off with Trey Lance, who, you know, I think he was the best quarterback play on the slate for cash games. I know a lot of people went Daniel Jones. Unfortunate that he got hurt. You know, that was kind of bad results, not bad process. But, you know, just going back to Trey Lance, it was his first start as a rookie quarterback. He was inconsistent at best, but from a fantasy football perspective, we saw exactly what we wanted to see. He's just going to be one of these quarterbacks whose floor is so high because of what he does. As a rusher, he had 89 yards on the ground on 16 attempts. Many of those attempts were designed runs. So even though he didn't produce a touchdown, he still put up 15 fantasy points. And that ceiling is just something Mm -hmm. that we're going to have to target week in and week out. Yeah, I agree. Trey Lance's upside is you know, immense, especially in this Kyle Shanahan led offense where he's going to get designed runs. He's going to get goal line looks and he didn't capitalize on those against the Cardinals. I think he got stuffed at the one yard line like two or three times in that game. But as the season goes on, he's going to turn those into touchdowns more often than not. So Trey Lance is obviously a buy right now in terms of fantasy football, 15 points, like you said, without scoring a touchdown. And if your quarterback is running the ball 16 times like obviously he's not going to hit that mark a lot but if he's getting around 10 to 12 attempts per game in this offense he's just gonna smash in he's a qb1 at that point yeah he's a a qb1 and like he still has room to grow as a passer so i wouldn't expect much out of him in terms of just passing he had 51.7 percent completion percentage like he wasn't good he threw a pick no touchdowns but as the season goes on as he gets more acclimated to the nfl and playing he'll he'll get better and then obviously we know his rushing upside and trey lance looks to be the next great dual threat quarterback and that's going to be great for fantasy absolutely Another rookie that is off to a hot start is Jamar Chase. And, you know, he's clearly the Bengals wide receiver one at this point. It was a conversation a little bit a few weeks ago. You know, is it Higgins? Is it Chase? Is Boyd going to lead the team in targets? Well, Chase is clearly separated. He's just a different animal out there, right? He's got five touchdowns through five games. There have only been two other wide receivers who have done that in their rookie season in the last 30 years. And that's Calvin Ridley and Randy Moss. Some pretty good company to be in. Yeah, I mean... I'd like to classify this as a dub for me, especially pre-draft. I was taking Jamar Chase in the seventh round every 
single draft. And this was easily predictable, right? Like just an alpha at the college level with another high caliber receiver there in Justin Jefferson put up 2000 yards at LSU 20 touchdowns with Joe Burrow comes in to the NFL with Joe Burrow as his quarterback so the chemistry is already there with an elite analytical profile right Jamar Chase is just the real deal and he is the alpha in that Bengals offense clear cut T Higgins is the number two and Tyler Boyd is the number three I think and Jamar Chase with Joe Burrow is going to be a deadly combo for years to come and this dude is averaging a touchdown per game bro like he he's just gonna smash this season yeah uh, he's absolutely gonna smash the season how would you feel about betting him at plus 350 to win offensive rookie of the year it seems like a pretty strong bet he is the favorite at this point but plus 350 is good odds and considering how badly the top quarterbacks have been struggling to start the year I, I actually like that bet quite a bit yeah, I think that the offensive rookie of the year is not going to be won by a quarterback this year just because of the lack of quarterback play from the rookies so far. So it's going to come down to either Jamar Chase or Najee Harris. So betting on Chase seems like a good bet to me. And if he continues to dominate like he has been to start the season, I don't see why he wouldn't win the award um especially if the Bengals uh can keep on winning games so I definitely like that bet Jamar Chase offensive rookie of the year heard it here first another rookie wide receiver that was impressive in week five was Kadarius Toney went ham on the field with a very impressive 10 for 189 line he also went ham on Demonte KZ. He was he, I kind of <laughs> missed the beginning of this play. I saw the highlights and he was just throwing haymakers. Like he really just duffed this dude. He's going to be fined by the NFL, potentially suspended by the Giants head coach and certified boomer Joe Judge. But, you know, all of that aside, the stat line was impressive, especially for a guy who was widely regarded as a reach in the 2021 NFL draft. Yeah, obviously like we're no college scout, so we didn't really know how good he was or why people were calling him a reach. Um, and he ended up being what, like a 18th, 20th round pick in best ball. Mm -hmm. So I guess he was okay. If you want to take a flyer, I was personally staying away from him just because of the uncertainty, but he looks good, man. And he looks looks, really good. He, he just, he's just electric when he gets the ball in his hands. This dude is doing moves. He's anticipating where the defenders are going to be, and he's just calculating his juke moves and his spin moves. And the one route that he ran against uh, Trayvon Diggs, where he just left this man in the dust, that like a little out route. God damn, he he just he just looks electric. And I think it's also a function of this role on the Giants, right? This slot receiver role with Daniel Jones is a very valuable role for fantasy. We saw it in the first two weeks with Sterling Shepard, and we're seeing it now with Kadarius Tony it is a very valuable fantasy friendly role obviously Tony got hurt and he might get suspended like you said so we'll have to see but if Shepard comes back that's definitely gonna hurt Tony quite a bit but I, I still like Tony and I was I was just so tilted when he got ejected because I was watching the game because in, in that tournament lineup where I scored 226, I had Tony left and he was eating on that final drive. Like Glennon was only looking to Tony. So I was like, all right, all right I'll be able to salvage some money here. I won't be able to come in first, but <sighs> Span just got so heated and threw a punch. And I'm like, bro, what are you doing? Like that punch isn't going to do anything. He has a he has a helmet on. And we talk about this a couple times a year. The the punching of another player's helmet seems like you're doing more damage to yourself than than the opposition there. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like just, just gonna so have a sore hand. Like the dude's gonna be fine, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's so ridiculous. But Tony, 
Tony's electric, man. I feel like they won't be able to keep him off the field after this, though, no. even when Sterling Shepard returns. So I wonder if they kick Shepard outside because he has played that role, you know, in the past, even though he is better suited for the slot. It seems like they have to find a way to get both of them on the field because they are the two best wide receivers or at least the two most productive wide receivers that the Giants have at the moment. Yeah, Sterling Shepard and Tony are definitely the two best Giants receivers right now, in my, in my opinion. So I think what their plan should be, and obviously this is assuming rational coaching, and I don't want to assume that with uh, Jason Garrett and Joe Judge. Definitely not. But they just run four wide receiver sets with Saquon's injury. Right, and and I guess while we're on that subject of Saquon's injury and the Giants in general, the injury did not look good. His ankle was pretty messed up. He said that he doesn't, or I don't know if he said it, but the Giants said that he's unlikely to play next week. So Devontae Booker should be a priority add for season-long players. His efficiency was not there, but his stats were boosted because he did get two touchdowns. He had 20 combined opportunities, six attempts, four targets. So I think he should definitely be on the radar as, you know, one of the top waiver wire pickups just because of the potential workload that he's going to see in Saquon Barkley's absence. Yeah, Devontae Booker, if he's still on waivers in your fantasy league, is a priority add, at least for this week. He's just going to be the clear-cut number one running back on the Giants, albeit it won't be an efficient role. You still have to pick him up. He's still going to get touches and I think Saquon at most will miss only like three weeks just because it, it just looks like a an ankle sprain and his swelling should come down within a week or two and then he should be ready to go so Booker is like a two or three week guy um, you know you'll probably get 12 to 15 points out of them but in the NFL right now with all these injuries you take whatever points you can get because it's looking grim out here do we know how serious Daniel Jones injury is I mean the man was eating turf bro <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> it's not funny bro <laughs> I mean he was eating turf it's not funny that he you know he got up and didn't even know what planet he was on like I feel for him but he got up and you could just see him spitting the white turf out of his mouth. Like, that's pretty funny. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. But I still, like, I feel bad for him. Like, I, you know, I don't want him to get injured. And uh, like you said, if you played him, you just ran bad with the results because he, he would have had a decent fantasy game had he not got hurt. But yeah, Dan Daniel Jones, he, he should be out for what, two, three weeks? Yeah, looked like a pretty serious concussion. So in Chicago, we were sort of projecting David Montgomery's absence to lead to a big workload for Damian Williams. We weren't sure how much Khalil Herbert, their sixth round rookie, would work in, but it turns out that Herbert actually outtouched D. Will. He had 18 attempts for 75 yards. I certainly didn't think that Herbert was going to be that involved. And I think it's going to be hard to trust him going forward because Damian was still getting the high value touches. He outtouched Herbert inside the 10. He got all of the receiving work out of the backfield. But, you know, it was interesting, at least, to note that Khalil Herbert came in and got 18 attempts, you know, in his first first work with David Montgomery sidelined. Yeah, and obviously it was surprising to see him have the role that he did, but he was solid at Virginia Tech. He averaged 7.6 yards per carry there. He is a decent athlete and Damian Williams, I mean, let's be real, he's like 31 years old. He's not the same Damian Williams as he was three, four years ago on the Chiefs, right? So I don't know. I don't know their roles moving forward. I don't know if this is going to be a 50-50 split, but I kind of, I'm not even going to lie, I kind of 
did anticipate it. Like you can go see on All Star in our redraft league. I like I picked up Khalil Herbert last week, so I thought he was going to have a little bit of a role, probably more than other people thought. But I didn't expect him to have like this massive role in the Bears' uh, rushing attack by far. How would you like if you're in a position in a season long league where you're trying to prioritize either Herbert or Booker or Daryl Williams, as we'll get to later? Ceh is dealing with an injury. Like who's your priority as a waiver pickup? As you know, these running back injuries continue to stack up. I mean, definitely Booker for sure. And then Herbert to Darrell Williams three in season long. It's just Booker's going to see, you know, all of the opportunity for New York as long as Saquon is out and Herbert's going to be splitting with uh, Damian Williams while David Montgomery is out. And then Saquon, like he's been injury prone, man. It's just, yeah, it's, for sure. it's unfortunate because he's one of the most talented running backs to come out of college, like in the last 15, 20 years but he can't stay healthy and he's had one great season out of like three or four. So Devontae Booker obviously gets a boost in these couple weeks that Saquon is out, but then there's always that risk of re-injury. And if Saquon were to go down for an extended period of time, Devontae Booker is a league winner. So yeah, and he got paid decent money, five and a half million for two years. So the yeah. Giants clearly value him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all of the GPP theorists out there, we knew that Aaron Jones was like the ultimate leverage play, right? You know, Devontae Adams, anytime he's going to be massive chalk, you know, 25, 30, 35% owned, Aaron Jones just automatically slips under the radar. But A.J. Dillon was a complete thorn in the side of that play. He had a career high four receptions. He never even had four receptions in a single game during his college career. And he also had eight attempts on the ground. And it kind of just makes Aaron Jones more volatile than he's been previously. AJ Dillon was not on the field a lot. He only played 33% of snaps, but it just shows that when he was out there, they were making a concerted effort to get him the ball. Yeah, man. I mean, that was kind of the thesis behind drafting AJ Dillon in best ball, right? Was he's was going to have a role on the Packers. I mean, the role honestly is pretty solid I think he's playing what like 34% of snaps so far to start the season he's getting solid touches he scored 17.9 points same as Aaron Jones for what 3k less three mm-hmm. 3400 less and it's just so tilting man that you know they go out and sign Aaron Jones to this big contract extension and then He's like taking a backseat to AJ Dillon. So tilting, bro. uh, That's football, right? Yeah, I mean, Aaron Jones' price just needs to come down because you literally can't play him in DFS if if this is the situation he's in. Yeah, I mean, he's going to have those explosion games, right? Like he's going to go off for 40, 45 points. We've already seen it this season where he just scores all of the Packers touchdowns. But in a majority of games, he's just going to be a 15 to 20 point scorer and he's not going to get priced down because he's in one of the best offenses in the NFL with one of the best quarterbacks, right? I don't know, man. It's it's going to be tough, like you said, to to play Aaron Jones on DraftKings, especially if he's losing 30 to 40% of snaps and receptions to A.J. Dillon. And, you know, A.J. Dillon looks good too, so. He does, he does. So we talked about it on the stream. I, I was pretty on board with the sneaky Josh Jacobs play. It didn't work out um, sort of as you predicted, but I will say, 
Okay, Josh Jacobs has four games in his NFL career with five or more targets, and two of those four games have come in the last two weeks. Do you think that that is a trend or a trap? Because if Jacobs is going to start having not only his usual role as a rusher and a goal line back, but he's getting an additional four to five catches per week, he's a very different profile of fantasy football player than we've been regarding him as. Yeah, I mean, I told you about Josh Jacobs. Like He had a touchdown not- call back. By the way, he ran bad. He scored what sixteen points on yeah. DraftKings. Yeah, he gets so. that other touchdown in the first quarter. I mean, we're we're sailing to the money. 2%. Yeah, I, I guess I guess he had a decent game. He scored more than you know, like Damian Williams, who who was right there. And you mentioned he was direct leverage, but if if he does see targets, I guess he's a little bit better in fantasy. But I don't know, man. I just don't want any parts of this Raiders team besides Darren Waller, to be honest. The receivers are so inconsistent with Ruggs and Edwards. The running backs are so inconsistent with Jacobs and Kenyon Drake. And then if Peyton Barber's healthy, I think he's going to factor in too. So you got competition for touches. And honestly, I just don't think this Raiders team is good. I'm going to be, I'm going to keep it a hundred. I think the Raiders are the most overrated team in the NFL. They had a couple cupcake wins you know, now they're playing some real teams and losing, although the Bears are trash, but they're they're getting exposed right now. And I just don't think the Raiders are a good team. I don't want, you know, the running back on a bad team that isn't going to score that much that could lose pass down work to Kenyon Drake if John Gruden changes his mind. But who knows if that will happen because he's a stone dolt. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that answer and I'll accept that. And Josh Jacobs like also isn't good. So you could throw that in there too. Like Josh <laughs> Jacobs is not good. I'm sorry. I mean, I've been saying that for years, so. Yeah, uh, I mean, I finally came around to that recently, like within the last year or two. His upside is just so low, dude. It's like people love low upside running backs that get drafted in the fourth round and, you know, just don't provide any fantasy value. It makes no sense to me. So we posed this question a few weeks ago on the podcast. Is Mike Williams taking over Keenan Allen as the Chargers wide receiver one? Well, it's no longer a question. It's a statement. It's a fact. I think the better question would be, is Mike Williams a top five wide receiver in the NFL? Because the things that he is doing on a weekly basis is unreal. He's currently on pace for over 100 catches, over 1,600 yards, and like 18 touchdowns. He appears to be legitimately unstoppable coming off of a 16-target game where he produced 165 yards and two more scores for a Chargers team that's on absolute fire right now. Yeah, Mike Williams is the wide receiver too overall in fantasy. Had another great game after his blender on his birthday classic flop lag with Mike Williams. He was a great DFS play yesterday at 1% owned and honestly he he looks to be the Chargers wide receiver one. Like there's no there's no way around it, right? He's getting targeted consistently as well as Keenan Allen, but he's the one that's making all of the big plays. He's the one that's getting targeted deep down the field. He's the one that's scoring touchdowns. So Mike Williams, I mean, is looking to be a league winner and he is a league winner just from these first 5 games and god. I mean, he had 16 16- targets dude 16 yeah like he he can't he can't be stopped right now so i do think he is the chargers wide receiver one hate to say that with uh keenan allen still there but the fifth year breakout is in full effect for mike williams in in this new chargers offense and you know justin herbert is an mvp candidate right now as well too so that helps yeah there are four wide receivers priced at 8K or above on DraftKings next week, and Mike Williams is one of them. I never thought I'd see the day. <laughs> oh, shit. Final story here comes from the Chiefs-Bills game last night. Tyreek Hill apparently suffered a knee injury late. We don't know how serious it is or if he's even going to miss time, but if he were, 
Miko Hardman, who led the Chiefs last night in receiving yards with 76, caught 9 of 12 targets, is worth noting because we've never seen him utilized that extensively. I mean, without deep diving, I'm pretty sure that I can say 12 targets is a career high for Miko Hardman. And, you know, if Tyreek misses any time whatsoever, Hardman should step right into the role. After all, that's essentially what he was drafted for. And, you know, just a little peek ahead, Miko Hardman is 4,100 against a train wreck Washington secondary on the main slate next week. So this is a situation that we have to be monitoring. Yeah, if Tyreek Hill is out, obviously that boosts Hardman's fantasy outlook quite a bit. But the thing is, Ben, McCall Hardman is fucking horrible at football. I don't I don't know if you know that. Okay. He's not good. And I'd I don't care if he's getting twelve I, targets from Mahomes. I'll play him. Yeah, no. Every obviously. Trip. He he's he should get he should get targets, but you know I I think especially at wide receiver talent does matter. You know targets are earned, not given, mm-hmm. and obviously he had twelve targets yesterday, so you could say he earned those targets. But I just don't think that he's a good wide receiver in the NFL. His upside is extremely low. We've never seen it from him. He's not Tyreek Hill. Obviously, you know that's what they drafted him to be. Thought Tyreek Hill was going to be suspended that season that they drafted him, and obviously at forty one hundred, it's going to be hard to fade him but I still don't care for McCall Hardman at all even with Tyreek Hill out like he's just not a good wide receiver in the NFL it's just that simple for me but a lot lot of injuries uh on the Chiefs after last night so yep they had offensive line injuries Tyreek Clyde Edwards Hilaire was carried off the field by his teammates at one point some other injuries I mean just this whole this whole slate was covered with injuries Saquon Barkley Daniel Jones Kenny Galladay we already referenced Juju Smith-Schuster is going to miss the year Max Williams the tight end for Arizona looks like he is now going to miss the year Joe Burrow was released from the hospital this morning I, I don't know if he's in any jeopardy of actually missing time but you know not what you like to see a player going to the hospital for a full yeah. night after the after the game and some other ancillary injuries like Curtis Samuel re-injured no shocker there and Damian Harris how serious was that from the Patriots and uh game I kind of missed that one I don't I don't think it was too serious I think that combined with the fact that he fumbled going into the end zone yeah kind of just they were like, all right, we're, we're not playing you and we're just going to say you're injured type type of vibe. And I don't, I don't know what the hell is going on with the Patriots. Like, they are just horrible. All their running backs um, are fumbling. What's Bill going to do? Yeah, he can't bench I them all. I, I have no idea. Damian Harris should have had a massive game last week. And, he, you know, he was on the verge until he lets go of the ball at the uh, one-inch line. Hate to see it. But, yeah, a lot of, lot of injuries yesterday. A um, lot of impactful injuries Juju Smith, he not might miss. He is out mm. for the entire season. Daniel Jones going to miss a few weeks. Saquon going to miss a few weeks probably. CEH, they just reported just now live recording. He will be out for a few weeks with an MCL sprain. So that could boost, I think, Jared McKinnon a little bit more than Darrell Williams. Although Darrell Williams is the RB uh, one there now with CEH out. And then, yeah, Curtis Samuel. That, that boy is made of glass, bro. It's like, uh, I'm done with him. Yeah, no, I, I feel that for sure. Yeah, McKinnon played 31% of snaps last night. Daryl played 43%. So I think that this is a situation That's, where both of them yeah. are probably going to be untouchable, most likely. I would definitely stay away from the Chiefs running backs. Like, if you're in a redraft league that has fab, I'll, I'll probably bid like a dollar on them. <laughs> <laughs> like at most a dollar uh, out of thousand dollar budget <laughs> they're not gonna have they're not gonna have you know nearly any fantasy relevance and it's gonna be interesting to see if 
Tyreek Hill is out too, how that shakes out for next week because they do have one of the best matchups on the board for week six playing Washington who just can't stop anybody right now and think uh, the Chiefs are definitely going to be a talking point for next week for DraftKings. Absolutely. And we will cover that in depth on our next episode. But that is going to be it for episode 169 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carrying DFS. We'll be back on Thursday with our first look at the week six NFL DFS slate. For more content, check out the YouTube channel, the DFS Dose. We post multiple videos per week and live stream on Saturdays. You can also connect with us for free in the Discord channel. The link to do so is in the show notes to the podcast. If you're listening out there, just know that we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.